when we think about that, when we sing those words, hallelujah to the one who set me, or praise the one who set me free, hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me, like, I hope that you believe that. Like, I hope that if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you believe in the resurrected Savior, dead, buried, raised again, his blood for our sins, like, I hope that, that that's something that takes root in you, that you're like, man, God has set me free. And um, what has he set me free from? Uh, we're talking about that today. God has set us free from sin. He has set us free from the power of death. And so here's what we have on tap. We'll be in Romans 6. Uh, I'll also jump over briefly to Galatians 5 if you want to put a finger in that spot as well. But here's our theology today. Faith in Christ has set us free from sin's power. Faith in Christ has set us free from sin's power. Our application is consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And our prayer is, God, we praise you for your saving grace and the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. We praise you for your saving grace and the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, faith in Christ has set us free from sin's power. We've been talking, uh, we've been in Romans, talked about how the gospel in chapter one, the gospel salvation is for everyone who believes, the Jew and the Gentile. We talked about, Paul talks about that in chapter two as well, talks about it in chapter three. We talked about how it is our faith that saves us. It's not works. It isn't something that we can do. It's not something that we can accomplish on our own. Uh, you can't be good enough to win God's favor. You and I can't be good enough to, to merit righteousness, to inherit righteousness. You and I can't uh, be holy on our own, that this is the work of God in us, the gracious, loving gift of God to us through Jesus Christ. And when we believe, then God puts his righteousness on us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become a sin offering for us that we would become the righteousness of God. God gives us his righteousness. This is not Ryan's righteousness. This isn't Ryan's tried really hard. He's been a preacher since he was 20. He's preached a lot of sermons. He's read the Bible. He has a lot of Christian t-shirts. Man, he's got his, that's not that. It's not that. It is there is a God who is high and holy, exalted in the heavens, who is righteous, who is holy, who is full of glory, and he loves us, and he says, man, here's a way to bridge the gap. Jesus, my son, and now we inherit God's righteousness. We inherit God's beauty and God's glory. And so that being said, pick up with me. I'm going to actually start a couple of verses back in Romans 5.20. Paul says this in Romans 5.20. Now the law, that's Old Testament, think Ten Commandments, think uh, uh, Leviticus, think Exodus, think these 600 plus laws that were given in the Old Testament. The law came to increase trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Let me just say this really quickly. The law came to increase trespass. If there's no law, there's no trespass. You can't violate what's not there, what doesn't exist, right? So the more law that you're familiar with, the more guilty you become because the more laws there are, you're like, ah, oh, crud, broke the law. So like, if we're going to be really technical, this road going into town here, like this highway right here is 75, but when you turn back on 67, it's 70. Most people stay 75 or are going still like 80. Technically, technically, you're breaking the law, right? I mean, technically, right? Technically, you're breaking the law, right? There's a law, okay? The highway patrolman, the state troopers, Robert will pull you over one day and he'll say, 
they'll say, hey, I noticed you're going about 90 there. And you're like, well, I didn't see any signs. He's like, it's the law, right? So like the more laws we know, the more guilty we are. And for whatever reason, reason, thank you for that. That'll be a, that'll be a fun one. It's, that was my Liam Neeson. Uh, oh, no, no, Sean Connery. <laughs> that was my Sean Connery, right? That'll be it. That's my only Sean Connery ever. Uh, but for whatever reason, we'll just keep it. Uh, Christians like to heap up laws for themselves. Christians like to do this. And, and we have all these things. I've been in church my entire life. We have all these things, and maybe you don't even realize it, but you, we're measuring ourselves by all these rules, all these things we believe we're supposed to do, and they don't make us feel better about ourselves. What do they make us do? They make us feel worse. The more law there is, the more guilty we become. So that's what Paul's saying. Law came to increase the trespass. Law came to make people realize they were more guilty. Why? Why did the law do that? Uh, law increased the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace could reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So God, God brought all people to a place where they realized they were guilty so that all people would realize they needed what? Grace, right? So here's the good news. If you feel exceedingly guilty, here's the great news. God's grace is more than that guilt. God's grace is more than that sin. God's grace is more than that shame. So, so we look to all these laws and we're like, man, but I failed in this and I failed in this and I failed in this and I failed in this. And the great news is God's grace is bigger than where you failed, right? That's the great news. So then Paul says this in Romans 6, 1. So what then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Here's the question that people are going to ask. Okay, let, let me get this straight. You're saying that where I have an abundance of sin, God's grace is bigger. Yes. So they go, should I sin more then? so that we can show that God's grace is bigger. I'll go out, I'll do all the sins, and then I'll come home and go, I'm forgiven. And that way people will go, wow, God's grace is really big. And that's the question that he's anticipating. So Paul's like, so, so we recognize that God's grace is bigger than our sin, so should we go sin a whole bunch so that we can prove how big God's grace is? No. That's the answer to that question. If you're wondering if you should go and sin more so that you can tell people how great God's forgiveness is, the answer is no. All right? Really simple, pretty straightforward. Shall we sin more so that God's grace may abound? No. Okay? By no means, Paul says. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? This is going to be really key. And I want you, if you write in your Bible, I want you to take note of this. You don't have to do this. But you might want to just take note of this over the next six verses. Okay? By no means, how can we who died to sin, I would circle that. You don't have to. It's not circled in this Bible. It's circled in another one. But... How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized were baptized into Christ's death? Death, okay? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too could walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified, died with him, so that the body of sin would be brought to nothing so that we would be no longer enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for he who has died has been set free from sin. Death, died, crucified, dead, death, died. Like this idea here is this. Paul is stating a reality. He's stating that once we come to faith in Jesus, not only have we died with Christ, 
but we've been raised to walk in newness of life. This is not just hyperbole. This is not just some kind of like really great Christian bumper sticker. You know, I have new life in Jesus. Like this is a reality that you have died with Jesus, that when you put faith in Christ, uh, that you are joined with him in his death and you're joined with him in his resurrection. And the Bible says, not only have you died with Christ, but you've died to sin's power. You have died to sin's power. Now we might not feel that way, we might feel like sin has plenty of power left, but you have died to sin's power. Look at what he says here. Um, so he says, let me find it again. Uh, we know, this is verse 6, we know that our old self is crucified with him in order that the body of sin would be brought to nothing, would be brought to nothing, that the body of sin would be rendered powerless, another translation says, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Look at verse 7. Super, super important. We're going to come back to verse 7 next week because we're going to be in chapter 7 next week. And we're going to come back to this verse because we're going to need to come back to this verse. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, here's the thing. I think that most of us as Christians, we don't buy that. I think most of us as Christians, we don't buy that. We, we sing a song like, hallelujah, uh, praise the one who set me free. And we don't, we, don't, we don't think about what that means. We might think, oh, I've been set free from hell. Not what the song means. Not what the text means. Part of the benefit, sure. Not what the song's saying. We have been set free from sin, and we have been set free from death. You and I can know that the moment we close our eyes in death, uh, we will be in the presence of the Lord. Okay? That, that, that is... Uh, that, not in body. We don't get new bodies till Christ returns. We can talk about that on Wednesday if you want. Like, what in the world does that look like? Short answer, I don't know. I have no idea what spiritual form looks like, okay? Because that's an oxymoron. Like, spirit has not formed. So anyway, I don't know. I have no idea, okay? So actually, don't ask me that question on Wednesday. Uh, but, but we have this idea, right? We have this concept. We're like, yeah, I've been set free like from... from uh, death, I get it, I'm going to be raised from the dead one day, I'm not going to hell, yay. But what we've been set free from, according to this text, we've been set free from sin. Sin is not your master anymore. See, I need us to understand this. I need us, I need us to not just have faith that Jesus is good enough to keep us from hell, I need us to have faith that Jesus is good enough to set us free from sin's power. Sin is not your master anymore. We're going to get to this in a minute. It's part of the application. I'm going to just ruin it really fast. We have this false idea that, that we get to kind of decide how we want to live. We have this false idea that we are independent, autonomous people. The Bible's about to tell us you're either a slave of sin or a slave of God. Your entire life, oh, kind of Spider-Man-y there. I'm a big Spider-Man fan. So anyway, uh, sorry. I am easily distracted. I don't know if you've come to church a lot, but I'm, I apologize. I'm easily distracted. So uh, never by you, always by the playground of monkeys in my head. But we have been set free from sin's power. Here in a minute, we're going to see that we are either slaves of sin or slaves of God. Those are the two things that we can be. You will Freedom from sin, freedom from slavery to sin means now slavery, bond servant, servant of God. You're either serving sin or serving God. And, and the, the problem is that when you go out into the world and you meet somebody who doesn't know Jesus, at that point, they have no recourse but to serve sin. 
Every single thing that they're doing is contrary to God. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 3, that our nature is to be objects of wrath. We are by nature, the Bible says in Romans 5, enemies of the cross of Christ. That is who we are apart from God. We are sinners, Romans 5 says, because of the sin of Adam. And so every single person, according to Romans 5, every single person is an enemy of God and a slave to sin until what? Faith. And we say, Christ, my faith is in you. In that moment, the chains, we just sang about this, the chains are broken. You're going, what chains were broken? The chains of sin are broken. We can talk about this, this more later, but people will talk a lot, and, and some of you are going to disagree with me on this statement. I really hope that instead of just leaving, you'll talk to me about it. But there's this idea of inherited sin or family sin, this kind of thing. I want to say something to you. If you are a believer, sin's chains have been broken for you. Sin is no longer your master. You are not in slavery to sin. No matter who your father was, no matter who your grandfather was, no matter who your, like, it doesn't matter what your, listen, if you, if, if we can't believe this, what can we believe? Jesus is bigger than our familial legacy. He is. We have been set free from sin. Check this out. Jump down with me to chapter 6, 17, and 18. I'm not going to skip the part in the middle. I mean, technically, I'm skipping the part in the middle, but we're coming back to it in the application section. Look at verses 17 and 18. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I need us to get this. This is what Paul's talking about here. We as Christians say, man, today I was a slave of sin. And then we have a really good day where we're honoring Jesus, and we're like, man, today I was a slave of God. Wrong. You are not both. You were a slave of sin before you met Christ. You are a slave of righteousness having met Christ. Okay? We have this wrong teaching in Christianity that says, these two things exist in me. Listen, you may do something wrong today, you may dishonor Jesus today, but that does not make you a slave of sin. You're not a slave of sin anymore. Having put faith in Jesus, the scripture says you're a slave of righteousness. You belong to God now. Sin's power has been broken. So why did you sin? Because you went back to your old master. Like you're, you're acting, but he has no authority over you anymore. He's not your boss anymore. Christ is. Christ is your Lord. Christ is your king. We have, we have been set free from sin. Listen, I, I wish... All right, this is going to be a dumb statement, so let me pause before I say it so I don't have to walk it back completely. Okay, I'll say it this way. I'll qualify it. You ready? There are a lot of things from the Scripture that I wish people could just really wrap their minds around. Romans 6 is at least in the top three. It's at least in the top three things I wish people could comprehend. That it, You ever heard this? You ever heard a preacher say, you ever read a Christian book that just said, look, we're going to sin. It's inevitable. We're human. You heard that? Okay. Sin is not your master anymore. Sin's not your master anymore. When I, when I bump into people who, who say those kinds of things, and they're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to sin. You know, my wife and I, we're going to yell at each other. We're going to be angry at each other. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my temper. Like, by the way, there is an anger that's not sinful, so I'm not condemning all anger because Ephesians 4 says, be angry and do not sin. There's a righteous anger. We can talk about that another time. But the, we have this mindset, right, like that 
we, we, we have this mindset that uh, I'm just, uh, I'm just stuck. I can't ever be anything different than I am. I can't ever get past this sin. It's just like, I, I remember, I remember being a 20 year old young man and being part of, anybody remember Promise Keepers? I was part of a Promise Keepers task force in Lubbock. Me and my buddy Scott Donahoe, we were the two college guys on this with a lot of guys who were in their 40s and 50s. These were kind of mentors to us. It was a, Promise Keepers was a, a men's ministry. They would have these big uh, conferences in football stadiums and, you know, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 guys would come and hear the gospel and worship. And anyway, so I remember talking to one of my mentors in that group one day. I was 20. I was addicted to pornography. And, and I remember telling him, like, I... I, I want to be done with this. And he looked at me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he shook his head and he goes, you never will. And it's just what we're destined to do as men. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's really crappy. <laughs> you know? And I just was like, I, I don't want to be like that. You know? I believe God's bigger than that. I, I believe that not only can God forgive me for my sin, but that he can give me grace to, to leave it behind. Like, and I just remember thinking as 20, 20 years old, like, I'm sad for you, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I'll, you'll never be done with it. And I was like, wow. I, I wanted to say to him, so when are you going to cheat on your wife, you know? This is what I do now to people. Uh, I'm a little mouthy sometimes still. Not as mouthy as I was when I was 20, but sometimes I can't hold my tongue. So when somebody says something like that to me, like, it's just always going to be that way. I was like, so when are you going to cheat on your wife? And they're like, oh, I'd never do that. I'm like, why not? You're only human. And they're like, no, no, that's different. Why? Why? Why is the God who can give you grace to not cheat on your wife not big enough to give you grace to honor him in your day-to-day -day things? Like, why? Why do we make God so small? Why do we think that because we're Christians, there are these three or four sins we won't ever commit, but all the rest we're just destined to? We've been set free from sin's power. The reason you were doing those things before Christ is because you had no choice. You have a new master now. He has set you free. I'll give you this example. God, in his power, right, led all the people of, of Israel out of Egypt, literally out of slavery. He led them by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day. This is so epic, right? And when they came to the Red Sea and the Egyptian army came up behind them, he built a, a wall of fire between them and the Egyptians, and he parted the sea all night. And they went through on dry land, and they came through, and the Egyptians were drowning. He killed them. He killed their masters. He set them free from slavery. And three months later, they're like, we should go back. Sin isn't our master. Egypt wasn't their master anymore. In fact, all their masters were dead. But because of their discontent with God, they're like, let's go back. That's the problem. Not, not, that slave, not that sin is too powerful for us, that we get lazy in following God, that we get apathetic. But sin's power is broken. Here, I would love it if Christians would start going, oh, you know, I did this thing this past week, and I, I'm just, I guess I'm just destined to do it. I wish instead of that, people would kind of get a little chip on their shoulder and go, man, I, I, I blew it this week. But that doesn't have to be part of my story anymore because God set me free from that. that that's different language, isn't it? Oh, man, I'm just destined to do that. And, no, heck no. What the heck? Like, you're not my boss. Any, like, to be mad a little bit. Like, maybe that doesn't work for you. It works for me. Like, just, I have this conversation with my two Ryans in there. There's the one that I call Crybaby. Uh, Crybaby is really pathetic. 
for whatever reason since college, the guy that can get crybaby into shape, golly, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I, I call him Ruperto. I have no idea why. But Ruperto, man, like when Ryan's like, man, I just, I, I'm just a failure. I'm just kidding. Ruperto's like, you belong to Jesus. Shut up. You know, like you belong to Christ. You don't belong to your sin anymore. Man, I wish that we could believe Romans 6. Check this out. Check this out. You believe, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you believe that an eternally existing, all-powerful God who said universe, boom, and it existed, who holds the entire world in the palm of his hand and all the universes don't even spread across the breadth of him, you believe that he came and was wrapped up in a seven or eight pound baby, laid in a feeding trough, grew up with all the power and all, not quite all the glory of God because in John 17, Jesus says, give me back the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world, but with the glory and the power and the imminence of God, that he walked on earth, that he walked on water, that he opened the tombs and raised the dead, that he healed the crippled, that he opened the eyes of the blind, that he righteously went to the cross, that his blood was shed for the remission of sins for all humanity, that he broke death's power, that he stepped forth from the empty tomb, that he ascended into heaven, that he's coming back one day. You believe that if you believe that, you're forgiven, and yet you go, but he can't help me with this. Like, seriously? Oh, I'm, just, I'm just destined to always screw up in this area of my life. Like, really? <laughs> my voice did not mean to do that. <laughs> God is bigger than your sin. You are not, like, please, Christians, please quit saying I'm a sinner saved by grace. Please quit saying that. Paul uses the term sinner to describe those who did not know Jesus. Paul uses the term saint to define those who, didn't, or who do know Jesus. You are not a sinner. You were. You're now a saint. We've got to believe this. We've got to. I'm going to run out of time, so let's get to the application. I don't even know how much time I have left because my watch doesn't wake up anymore. All right. There we go. All right. 17 minutes. We can do it. Here's our application. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. I have people ask me all the time. They go, man, what do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do. Like, what do I need to do to make my life radically different? All right, here it is. It's trippy. You ready? Believe. That's what you need to do. You need to believe that you are who God has said you are. You need to believe that God has done in you what he says he's done in you. You need to believe that God is as big and as awesome and as amazing and as glorious and as holy and as powerful and as imminent as he declares himself to be. You need to believe. And if you believe... God will do his work in you, and it will radically alter your life. Listen to this. Romans 6. Pick up with me in verse 11. Hopefully we'll have time to jump over to Galatians 5, but maybe not. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go actually back. Let's, go, let's jump back to verse 7. Romans 6, 7. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we also live with him. That is not just talking about future glory. That's talking about right now and walk in newness of life. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So sin no longer has dominion. Death no longer has dominion. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives for God. So you also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here it is. What's the answer? How do, how do we find that we're living for the glory of God rather than for our sinful pleasures? Here it is. You ready? Consider 
that you are dead to sin and alive to God. He's just spent the first half of this chapter saying, by the way, you're dead to sin. You are dead to sin. You have been raised to walk in newness of life. Sin has been rendered powerless, and you have been raised to life in Jesus. Consider this to be true. Consider this to be true. You're dead to sin. There are days, I get it, I do. There are days you're going, man, I just don't feel like I'm dead to this. I feel like I am being led by my nose. That's a biblical reference. Anyway, we can talk about it another time. Uh, I feel like I'm being led by nose. The, okay, you wanted to know. The Babylonians sometimes, uh, there's a reference, a couple of references in it, that the Babylonians, when they were taking people off to slavery, they would put rings in their nose and hook them all to chains, and then they could just march them off to wherever they were going. So, or anyway, so you, you feel like you're being led by your nose by sin to wherever it wants to go, but there's no chain anymore. It's not your boss anymore. Who is? Christ. God. Righteousness. There isn't a single thing that you will face that you can't then overcome. Right? 1 Corinthians 10, I think, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except for what is common to man, but God is faithful, and in everything he will provide a way of escape. I butchered it, but that's, that's the idea. Okay? There isn't anything that will overtake you that isn't common to all men. And in every situation, there is a way out. Why? Because you've been set free from sin's power. Because you've been liberated from slavery to sin. Because you've been marched out of Egypt. Because the Egyptian lords have been killed. There's no master anymore from the sin perspective. Now it's purely voluntary. When you march into those things, it's purely voluntary. Look at this. Pick up with me in verses 20 through 23. Oh, I stopped short. Sorry. Uh, verse 12. Let's back up to verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin has no dominion over you since you aren't under law but under grace. How was sin measured at the end of chapter 5? How was sin increasing? All the laws. You and I are not measured by the law. You want to measure us by the law? We're guilty all day long, every day. You want to measure us by the biblical Hebrew law? We're guilty every day. Praise God, we are not measured by the law. We are measured by the grace of God. Here's how God measures you. Oh, you know Jesus? Righteous. Oh, you know Christ? Forgiven. Oh, you know Jesus? Holy. Oh, you know Jesus? Saint. Like, that's the measure. Jesus. I, I, I need us as a group of people to get this. It is simpler than we've been taught. Jesus. People ask me every now and then, hey, I want to come visit your church great, come on. They're like, what denomination are you? I'm like, uh, I don't think we have one. I really don't. Like, I don't, none? People go, oh, non-denominational. I'm like, no, that's kind of a denomination. I don't think we're even non-denominational. And I'm like, and they're like, well, what, do you, what kind of things do you teach? I'm like, Jesus? Like, we, 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 we have a big emphasis on Jesus? We, we really think that Jesus is like all of it? And they're like, yeah, but like, what's your kind of thing, you know? And I'm like, Jesus. Like, that's, it, it's super awkward. I'm the pastor. <laughs> I started this thing with Micah 12 and a half years ago, and people ask me, and I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, 
we love Jesus, man. Like, we just, we believe Jesus is bigger. Like, that, that's kind of how we teach. And I'm like, yeah, but like, you know, pre, mid, post-trib, you know, Calvinist, Arminian. I'm like, Jesus, you know? Just that. If that's what you're looking for, keep coming back. If you feel like you need the $12 words, seminary words and stuff, I will just tell you right now, I am not your guy. I'm just not. But Jesus, that I can do. We can talk about him. Day in and day out, week after week. And I'm just going to tell you, the Christian life for me, I grew up in church and I condemned everyone around me and I condemned myself. At least I was consistent. Everyone was condemned, including me. And it took me years, years to shake free from that mindset and go, wow, Jesus really is enough. Years. I was 40. That's how long it took. I was 40. Man, Jesus is enough. Okay, that was, all right, here we go. Ready? So, for sin has no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. Listen to me. Please, 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 please hear this. Sin has no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. I know what our human brains want to do. We want to go, yeah, but. No. No. Sin has no dominion over you. You have been set free from its power. The chains have been broken. No, yeah, but. Sin has no dominion over you. Okay, here we go. Uh, Verse 15. What then? Are we to sin? Because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Really cool story. Not time. Okay. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to slaves, sorry, present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves or obedient servants, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So check this out. So don't you know, Paul says, that whoever you present yourself to as a servant, that's who you are. Slaves of sin lead to death. Slaves of, of, of righteousness leads to life. So... It, it gives the illusion, hold on, if you just read that one verse, here's what the sermon would sound like. If I got up and I just read that one verse, verse 16, I would say, okay, guys, maybe you chose to be a slave to sin this week. Don't do that anymore. Be a slave to God. And it would sound really good and you'd be like, yeah, yeah, I was a slave to sin this week and I'm not going to be a slave to sin anymore. No, no, that's not what Paul's saying. If you take that verse out of context, we disregard the fact that he's already said you're not a slave to sin. You've already been set free from sin. Look at what he says, though, in verse 17. So he says, don't you know, don't you know, sorry, in verse 16, don't you know people are slaves to whomever they obey, sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness. Thanks be to God that you who once were slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Having been set free from sin, you are now slaves to God. Paul states a fact in verse 16. You're slaves either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. This is not two things existing in the Christian heart. How do we know? Because the next two verses he says, thanks be to God, though you once were slaves to sin, you're not anymore. You are now slaves of God. It's identity. It's an identity. Okay? I've been doing art in some form or fashion since I was nine. I studied art in college. Um, and then I took a 15-year break, poured myself into ministry, all this kind of stuff. My mom sent me, uh, in 2010, I think I shared this with you before, in 2010, my mom sent me a pad of paper and pencils for Christmas and said, you're too good of an artist to let it die. Do something with it. I hadn't done anything with it for 15 years. I started teaching myself to paint about 10 years ago. So I started teaching myself to paint because I'd always done pencil and pen and ink. I was drawing all the times. So I, I got bored with that. I wanted to learn to paint. So in 2015, 
I approached Michelle. I was traveling a lot for ministry. I was missing her and the boys a lot. And I said, what would you think about me trying to be a full-time artist to support us? Uh, because at this point, our church ran like 40 people. We weren't making a living at all from the church. And so I was like, what would you think about me being a full-time artist to support us? And she's like, so you're not on the road anymore? I was like, right. And she goes, yeah, go for it. I was like, okay. So I started doing it, started working it. Well, about four years in, so like 2018, 2019, end of 2018, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. At this point, she and her husband were stationed in uh, Japan, and, but they had been here at one point. And, and so I asked her, I was like, at, at what point am I a professional artist? We were doing this through message, and she wrote back, and she laughed, and she goes, four years ago. And I was like, wait, what? And she goes, you're making a living from your art. You're selling your art. Like, you have, like four years ago, you were a professional. And I was like, no, 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 but like, you know, like for real professional. And she goes, how'd you do this past year? I was like, she goes, did you meet your needs? I was like, yeah, I supported my family from it. She goes, professional. And it was weird for me because I'd kind of been walking around like, yeah, maybe one day I can be a professional artist and maybe one day this can be for real and maybe one day I can take this seriously. And it was interesting because once my artist friend said, you've been a professional artist for four years, once she said that, my mindset flipped. I was like, heck yeah, I am. I'm going to do this. I'm going to crush this, you know? I'm going to crush this. And I've been working to crush it, you know? Like I've been working. I want to take care of my family. I don't know if the boys will go to college or trade school or go to college for two years and drop out just like their dad, you know, or whatever. You know, I don't know. But, uh, you know, like whatever they, they want to do, I want to be able to, to do that. I want to be able to take care of them and, and take care of my family, right? And so like part of, like here I am all along going, man, I'm just, ah, you know, maybe one day, maybe one day, maybe one day, instead of, no, 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 I am. And I, I am not, name it, claim it, do not hear me say that. I am not manifestation that if you think it, it happens. I am not that at all. But don't tell me, don't tell me that how you feel about something doesn't, doesn't change your day. Don't tell me that it doesn't. It does. Don't tell me that you can't listen to that song that you heard in seventh grade and it reminds you of your first crush, you know, and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that and the roller rink, you know, like it does, right? It does. And, and, and so like, here I am, I, I'm going, okay, w once it shifted for me in 2018, I was like, I'm a professional artist. I started acting differently. I, I was painting live at a gala last night. Four years ago, I would have been like, I'm not, you guys don't know that I'm a dork. Like, I'm not supposed to be here with cool kids, you know? Like, and I just, I was like, I'm, I'm supposed to be here, <laughs> you know? Like, it, 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 you know what I mean? Believe, please, by faith. This isn't a nuanced belief. This isn't a subtle belief. This isn't just, you know, I'm going to screw up the courage to believe. This is faith in God. This is the whole package. You believe that Christ died and was raised from the dead. Good. Good. Also believe he set you free from sin's power. Also believe that he has given you victory over the sin that has been wrecking your life. Also believe that he, is, he has brought you to a place where you are called righteous. Not because of your performance, not because of how you acted this past week, but because he has lavished his righteousness on you. I, I, I don't know who I'm talking to right now. I mean, bear with me. I know like you guys. But somebody in here, you're kind of like me. And you go, yeah, yeah, look, I know Jesus loves me, but you don't know how badly I've screwed up. You don't know how much of a mess I am. Here's, here's my encouragement to you. I'm glad that you believe that Christ has died and been raised from the dead. I'm glad that you believe that there is eternal life in store for you. But you also need to believe that he has made you righteous. He's done that, not you. You also need to believe that he has called you holy. 
and he has called you beloved, and he has called you sanctified, and he has called you precious and chosen, child of God, saint, redeemed, glorified. Like, that's what he's called you. This constant daily self-loathing just can't stand. This constant daily self-deprecation cannot fly in the presence of the glorious king who says, this is one that I love. This is a child of Zion. This is the one that's holy and beloved and saved and redeemed. We're not going to make it to Galatians, are we? Look at this. Jump down to verse 20. We'll end with these last few verses. When you were slaves of sin, remember who you were before Christ. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. That is such a funny verse. You might not catch how funny that is. He says, before you knew Jesus, when you were a slave of friend, uh, of, of a slave, wow. Before you knew Jesus, when you were a slave of sin, you were free as it concerns righteousness. You were free from righteousness. You had no righteousness. That's what he's saying. When you were a slave of sin, you were free as it concerns righteousness. You had none. Okay? He's being tongue-in-cheek. He's being silly. All right? And then what he says, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What was the benefit of that life? What was the outcome? What was the return on your investment? Nothing. Now you're ashamed of that life. Now you're embarrassed. For the end of all those things is death. But now... That's who you were, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, there is fruit. The fruit you get leads to holiness and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to me. We teach this verse wrong sometimes, but, but here's what Paul's contrast. For those who are in slavery to sin, in other words, those who do not know Jesus, their end is death. But for us who know Jesus, our end is eternal life. Do not just think heaven there. John 17, 3, Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. When you, or when you put faith in Jesus, you entered into eternal life in that moment. In that moment, you have entered into eternal life. Romans is the contrast of two people, not an explanation of two things internalized in the believer. You were in slavery to sin. You're not anymore as a believer. You're now a slave of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You did belong to sin, and you had no righteousness. But now you're a slave of God, which produces holiness and righteousness and life. Oh, man. Let our faith rest on that. Already, some of you are going, yeah, but what about what Paul says in chapter 7? Guess what comes next week? Chapter 7. All right? So come back, and if you can't be here, you can listen to it online. But golly, man, I just want you to believe, not that you're better than you think you are, but that God is better than you think he is. And that because he is better than you think he is, he's better than I have thought he is, that we are free from sin's power. We are now obedient to God by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And that's a lesson for a different time. Brings us to our prayer. God, we praise you for your saving grace and the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Saving grace. 
the grace that has been given to us that has saved us from sin's power. Man, we talk about that a lot. Man, God saved me. What did he save us from? People say hell a lot. That's a very small part of the answer. He saved us from sin's power. Saved us from death. Saved us from being enemies of God. Saved us from the judgment of God. Saved us from separation. Like, man, the list is on and on and on. God, we praise you for your saving grace and the free gift of eternal life in Christ. Would you take a moment to pray that right where you're seated? God, we come before you today as as Christians, people who have put faith in you, who believe with all our hearts that Christ is God, that he came to the earth, that he bore the sins and trespasses of mankind, shed his blood upon the cross, was buried, was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is coming back one day. We believe it. We believe that faith in him saves us. We believe that faith in him promises us eternal life. We believe that faith in him means that one day we will see you, O God, face to face. We will stand in your presence without fear or shame or condemnation. We believe those things. Sometimes, God, we forget to believe that you're also bigger than our sin. You've set us free from sin's power. It's no longer master over us. In everything, there's a way of escape. That if we walk by the Spirit, we won't ever carry out the desires of the flesh. That in you, God, there is power and strength and freedom and holiness and righteousness. And God, help us to believe that today. To believe it. To believe that you are bigger than our sin. Bigger than our shame. Bigger than our condemnation. God, help us to remember and to believe that our lives now belong to you. In all things, for your glory, for your renown, forever and ever.